If you are easily offended, please leave and don't come back. The views, opinions, and statements from this podcast are by no one. I repeat, by no one. They are not real and everything is completely made up. This is for entertainment purposes only. The people in this podcast are not doctors, lawyers, or health professionals. They barely graduated high school. It's not that serious. Enjoy the show and have a nice day. Welcome to another episode of Vernon's Podcast, brought to you by me, Vernon Smith. Um, today, I have a special, special guest. Um, she is very vocal and um, important part of our um, indigenous community of Bestraco. She's a clean woman. I um, do you wanna do you wanna um, introduce yourself? Yeah, okay. My name is Terry Naskin. Um, from Bitchacol. Yeah, Terry, 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 Terry. Um, she, you're a counselor, hey? I'm a counselor, mental health, and a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that maybe we should start first by um, maybe um, your story. Mm-hmm. Like uh, from maybe when you were a kid, your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Start now? Yeah. Okay. My name's Terry Naskin. Uh, I was raised and uh, born and raised in Bichacon. Former na- community name used to be Fort Ray. Um, uh, I have a mom and dad back then with seven siblings. <coughs> My dad back then uh, worked as... Um, medical interpreter for many years for our community. Um, my mom, too. So up until I was about 12, uh, after that, uh, because of the school, excuse me, <coughs> and I was sent to residential school. Even my dad was a residential school survivor, and uh, it was hard for him to send me to residential school when I was young. But to believe in my education, um, because we can go to upgrade eight at that time, um, dad said that I was old enough to go. And mm-hmm. he kind of smiled and he said, you're ready, you know, you're ready. And as he was very fortunate, he wasn't ready for residential school life, which was very harsh. A lot of abuse was happening back then, um, which I didn't know about till I was later uh uh, later years, uh, the impact that uh, it has on him and the family back then. Um, so, it uh, was, uh-huh. sorry, so no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was harsh life in a way, a lot of way. But um, I had a lot of good education in both worlds. It was at home back then, uh, our cultural, our language, and then my dad way of uh, doing a lot of educational. But, um, Back then, our people were very, um, um, very loving people back then. And <clears throat> our way of life was so, uh, so strong, very powerful. A lot of elders were alive. They were our teachers, and we could never go wrong. We can't do something bad at home. I know I can't do swearing or something at home. We, we do that in community. Well, just got stopped by all the elders. All the elders were grandfathers, yeah? Grandmothers, oh my God, they can't get away with things back then. But over the years, um, 
during that time, um, like uh, prior to going to residential school, I was uh, there was a lot of abuse was going on that time. But a lot of our uh, young girl my age we were scared to open up of a lot of things. Uh, until so, like I was at, also was a childhood sexual abuse survivor. Uh, for many years, uh, I struggled with it. With you know, I couldn't cope with other things, so I had to turn to addiction. Yeah. Many many years. Um, on top of that, uh, when I went to residential school, um, I seen stuff that wasn't right done to some girls. You know, by former priests or whatever back then. Like you witnessed it with your own eyes? Yeah, I did. Oh my and God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I seen that. And when one thing is like, um, it really impacts your life. And because you already uh, been abused and then you see things happen, it's like uh, we're out in this and we feel helpless. We don't know how to work with it. Everybody talking, even though I seen it, uh, I talked to that girl, and she said, you know, she said, don't tell anybody anymore. I, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to say nothing about it. Because, it, like, the trauma was too... Too too much. Yeah. And back then, we don't know. We have no counsel in that land like today. So it was hard all around, and to be exposed to something like that at a very young age, um, it really impacted your life, right, to adulthood or whatever. And... As things when, uh, but I focus on my education and all that. Um, eventually, at the age of when finally, uh, 19, by 1969, I was really, um, uh, there's no way. A lot of things surface, a lot of triggers, and I, I don't know how to work with this. So I couldn't wait till school was over. Out we go with the freedom. I didn't want to <laughs> go home, yeah. right? <laughs> And I got a job then, but then I really had the boost. Oh, um, sorry. When you said school, did you mean residential school? Yeah. Once we were finished with that, when uh, the last one uh, was at the Ketra Hall, 1969. By then... So wait, wait, wait. What time? Um, I mean, like, at what age do you go? And then what age do you finish? Uh, with the residential school? Yeah. Uh, which, uh, with, the, with the earlier years, they have to stay there year-round. Yeah. And... Um, I think it's 1964 or 65, we came back first time in history. We're allowed to go home for Christmas. Oh, do you know how old you were? Uh, I was about 15. Oh, that's yeah. when you left residential school? Uh, no, no, I didn't leave till I was uh, 17. Oh, so yeah. you went for two years? Uh, yeah, extra two years here in Yelney. Okay, so... But uh, no, for residential school, was there from 12 to well, 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so 12 to 17, five years. Yeah. Okay. So I was lucky. When I didn't go there till I was old, but the other one's been there very young. Eh? Yeah, like I, I had heard that um, the authorities, like um, the RCMP and um, the social workers and stuff, they would go into the communities and the camps and stuff, and then they would take the kids, um, even if their parents didn't want them to go to school. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, a lot of families, they fled and they stayed in the bush and the cabins and stuff because they're trying to get away from social services and the police. Mm -hmm. um, so because they didn't want their kids taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Is that true? That's true because back then, um, people, I didn't know why people were in the bush. They don't come back till special days. And I, didn't, I did ask my dad later. 
I said, what what happened? You know, like, how come people don't come back and their school just for us and all that? <coughs> he said, <coughs> when uh, when the, uh, there was a lot of people, but it was back then, it was lot. And when when Indian Asian came to communicate, they asked people, like, you know, all the age of five, the kids have to go to school. If you don't go, you're going to go to jail. That, that kind of threat, our family really um, treasures the family. They don't want, so they took off in a bush. Yeah. And even then, there's some always group of family always stuck together, but, you know, the priest, and I, I, I'm soon with Indian agents, um, agencies, they know that our people are very... Uh, you know, really Christians. Yeah. So they brought the priesthood with them to bring the kids out in the places out, out, oh. out on the camp, stuff like that. Yeah. And even uh, went there by plane. Or oh, they uh, to kind of, um, um, I guess, lure them out of the camps. Yeah. Mm. But also, so that if if the priest spoke to them, the kids have to go to school. Then the people will listen. Mm. Yeah, rather than the RCMP and all that. So there was a lot of things going. So on. they were using religion to um, like trick everybody into going to um, residential school. In a way, yeah. But our people are really believing they're really Christian, so they listen to the priest. Yeah. So yeah. Catholic. That it wasn't yeah, yeah, Catholic. Catholic. Yeah, it was Catholic. Oh, Catholic. Not so not yeah. not Christian Catholic. No, 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 not the kind. No, they're just regular uh, RC Catholic. Yeah. 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 So the all the residential schools that was run by the Catholic Church, eh? Uh, no, not really, because they were part of it in a way, but they were uh, encouraged our people to send their kids to residential school with a company with either RCMP or Indian, Indian agency back then. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh. Uh, it, it was uh, all that was happening, and my dad said at that time, him too, he ended up in a residential school at the age of five, never went out till he was 15 by then. Uh, flu ed- epidemic took a lot of our people' life all over. Wait, what was this epidemic? I I can't remember what year it was, but my dad was five years old when both the parents were. Oh, so like this is in uh, the early nineteens, nineteen hundreds. Like I mean, yeah, the ni- maybe twenties, nineteen twenty. Probably around there. Mm. Yeah, I think I dad was born about thirty-five, thirty, uh, around there, nineteen thirty. I don't know. Oh, okay. Don't know exactly, but she was very young, was taken. But uh, according to some elders, later on, when I uh, I worked with a lot of elders back then, they were still alive, and I, uh, a lot of them did talk about residential school, and it was really um, very emotional for a lot of them, a lot of anguish. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of them, from their experience, they were in out, outpost camp, plane came, and. They just gather the kids, and the, the parents are crying. But they took all five years and up. Uh, one of the one of the um, the parent uh, was took that little one, two of them, and she told them to hide in the bush. They were oh. there, and until they left, he said. And then the two were in a bush hiding till they said, "Don't come back until the." plane leave, you hear the plane fly, then you come back. So they had almost, almost like they said, that all that day, the next day, the overnight in the bush until everybody left. And then when they came, there were just only two of them. 
that were there, the rest are all gathered. And he said that's the first time she, she told me, Terry, that was a terrible time. He said, I said, why? First time you, you don't hear kids giggling, laughter. It was the quiet time of my life. The camp was just quiet, no noise. Mm, said, that's like so sad. So. Yeah, all the children were taken. And she said, it's like everybody died. That's how they felt. So our parents, our grandparents were were really, um, uh, how is it? They're, they're devastated with how that residential schools really impact our life. It's, if you really think about it too, it like impacted a whole generation, like I right yeah. afterwards too as well. Yeah. Because the, even now you still feel it. There's like a lot of people who, like even say with people who are in my age, like millennials, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of like the generations before, they didn't like really like teach us um, cultures and traditions and stuff. Yeah. And I think it's pre- because um, of residential school, because they were kind of taught that that was shameful and you can't teach um, your culture. And so they kind of just like didn't, they didn't yeah. show us. So that's why kind of a lot of us, we don't even know how to speak Ping Chou. Yeah, because of that, Due to a lot of uh, damage done by residential school, uh, it impacts our life, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever. Uh, but most of all, because we, we're Dene, we have our own traditional way of life and language that was taken away by residential school. But elders, all elders still speak English back then. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, they find like eventually after that was all done uh, when residential school uh, we start talking about residential school they find out uh, I work with them with under health Canada the back then and to provide support to all those people that's going through the hearing that time uh, by then <clears throat> I knew I was counselor for many years and I just told them, you know anything that traumatized your life I said, it stays with you. It's so well hidden. But I said, eventually, you look around, you know, like your your children's children, the next generation. It has a big generational impact on families. Yeah. And that's still ongoing. And mm. one of the things I see how we were taught, because we were never taught to be a parent. Right. Mm, because, um, like... Uh, our parents like uh, addicted to substances or alcohol mm-hmm. because of the trauma that they were um, they had to go through. So yeah. that's why they weren't really they couldn't be around and stuff. Or yeah. Even if they were sober too, um, you kind of be like a dry drunk, right? You're like not really. It, it's not so so much a dry drunk and all that because it, as a parent, well, me, I come from a, a residential school survivor. Yeah. All that the routines and the regulations in residential school was so embedded in us. Mm. Uh, we were never taught how to be. Uh, our parents too were survivors, so they follow all that regulations, the things that they know uh, to help us survive, whatever. But a real, uh, a real true parenting skill was never taught by them. It passed on to us, plus through residential school. So when we were on own and getting married and we have our own kids, you know, we, we treat our kids as they were in the residential school. Right? Oh, yeah, because that's, that's all you know. Yeah, all the routines, yeah. all the rules and regulations, we put that on our kids. Yeah. And, you know, how... The, 
I, I mean, like, you're so uh, into it that, like, one example I'll give you, when I have my own home, whatever we did in residential school, that's how my kids were brought up. Mm. You know, time to get up, a time to get up, time frame, um, you know, when to eat, uh, when to go to bed, when to do homework. It's just like residential. And it, I didn't count on until even dressing clothes and play clothes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, it's a behavior that that was taught to you and being a, uh, trying to be a parent. Yeah, I know we were never taught that. So, uh, you know, then it was taught by our parents. So we think it's normality way of doing being in parenthood. Yeah, and it didn't work. I oh, mean, so, so like they weren't dry drunks, but they just didn't know how to. Um, be parenting like do parenting so that's just only what they knew so yeah. it's like i mean like maybe just like to some of us it's felt like they're always getting mad and yeah. like they're being really like like dis- on love and all that yeah and a lot of it and it's not only that but you know to deal with your emotions um uh, with your emotion your mental part of you it was stopped like how you feel how you're doing how you should cry and all a lot of us are uh you know, we experience a lot of rigidity towards our family members and our own immediate family where there's affection showing was none. Mm. And then how does that feel? Young people like you feel our parents don't love us. Yeah. They never tell us we love you. How can you when you were not taught? Yeah. So oh, and, yeah. And this is why it's impacting our families. Right? Yeah. And for me to go through healing, I went to it extreme to, to get help. Mm. And uh, by then my kids are all grown, and but I talked to them, and it took a long time to be a real family, for family where we talk about ourselves, our emotionals, our mental way of doing things. A um, lot of need to be changes, and yeah, I see my oldest still hmm? do things like my oldest, my oldest son. Oh yeah. He still do things like residential school where kids have to go to bed a certain time. Oh, you yeah. Know, all those, uh, even cleaning up. And I just said, comes to my house, you're going to go run around and try mm-hmm. to clean. I said, sit down. <laughs> See, you come here visit, just leave it. But I, no, it, it's so embedded in you. You know, you as a, a survivor have to go through a lot of healing to be you again. Oh, and, uh, yeah. It, it is hard. Yeah. And then once you do your healing, you have to work with your family. And that takes years. It took me a long time. You know, so being abused um, that way, um, it really, I feel, I really feel for my, my people. Yeah. Because of that, I was a former te- ed- educator back then. I was a teacher. Uh, I see a lot of... <clears throat> A lot of uh, addiction was happening. I knew something was going on. And I when you say abused, yeah, um, what do you mean by that? A, a lot of childhood sexual abuse by you know in residential school. Mm. Not only that, because our but like the the people who run it. Yeah, yeah. Like the priests, the priests, the nuns, the brothers, or all whoever works there. The nuns too. Yeah, uh-huh. I didn't know that. Yes, that that was happening, and. Uh, was it, well, is it just like openly? Like not, not openly, but in the evening when we try to go to bed and all that, we can, you know, see some of them 
uh, another nun will come in at night and then they go to that sister's room. I don't know what was going on there in leaves or something like that. But in the middle of the night, there'll be priests coming into into the woman's wrist and sometimes they, they pull, you know, they get kids to go out. And there was a lot of fear back then. You know, they cry, they whimper. Oh, my um, God. It, so it was... Um, I don't have to. It was really because of that you you exposed to a lot of fear, a lot of things that you're not used to. Mm. It's good it impact. It, it traumatizes you, and you, you you have to live that. And yet you have your own family. You have to act like you're normal. Mm. Eventually, that's going to erupt, and that's when they turn to a lot of alcohol. Oh no, lot of back then they just we didn't have drugs to depend on, but a lot of um, prescription drugs. Yeah, a lot of us were using that just to to cope, like right? antidepressants and stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, I think that um, the impact that it's had on our people. It's just I can't even, like sometimes I I feel like, well I can't like personally like, just it's. I, it helps like me like understand now, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. growing up because I, I sometimes I'd be like, oh, like why are they so strict? Why are they always getting mad? But then that's just that's what they know, right? Yeah, yeah that's and, that's normality because that's how that's how we learn. Yeah, and eventually, uh, as we got older, some of our parents will advise us, you know. Yeah. And then back to that residential school, all that abuse and stuff, was that like, um, did you like? ever like try to fight back or uh, uh the ones that like me i'm very uh back then i was brought up with my like my dad really taught me a lot of ways of doing coping stuff back then before i went to residential school yeah i was very assertive i, I was very vocal about my uh, what i i can express myself vocally right yeah and because of that i got punished lots mm. um but towards the end, you know, like I really, um, how would I say that? I, I knew it was wrong the way they do things. I know I, I'm comfortable with my mom back home, my dad, how they, uh, you know, raised me. Yeah. Uh, although it may be very uh, residential model way of parenting, but they were very kind. They would, they, they would let me allow me to speak my opinions and all that. But when I was in residential school, it was not. And mm. we're, we're restricted from using our language. Um, so I fought back really hard back then, and I got punished. And some of the girls would come to me, and I would care for them, do this, tell them this, that, and you know, I would do it, and I get punished. Mm, like when they punish you, what did they do? Um, well, they, back then, I guess the punishment was less, but the, I wasn't allowed to go to the dance. I wasn't allowed to go to the, to you know, once a week we're allowed to, by then, the once a week we can go shopping if we have money, we yeah. go into town. All that, they take that away from me. Would they hit you? Um, uh, one nun tried to, but I push her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, because I used to do a lot of... Um, traditional back home we had no running water and stuff like work with dog team and i was a runner right if so physical fit i outrun them i run around the residence (laughs) yeah god uh, don't try me lady yeah (laughs) and then when uh, they restrict us from 
language, right? Yeah. And we're, we're so strong in our language. We, we get, the sister get bad at us and all that, but we continue, right? Mm, yeah. I get caught so many times. I get punished and I still use my language. And then one time, uh, my friends back then, we got people from Snowdraft, um, all over from Fort Simpson, Fort all around surrounding. So it's community. like um, indigenous children from all over Canada? Yeah, pretty well. And they have a lot of multi-language there, right? Yeah. So one time, uh, a friend of mine was, uh, I'm more comfortable uh, with the South Slavey. They're more similar than us. So, I, you know, like he was like a friend of mine. We're just talking away in our language, and I told him to say this and that, and we're just laughing. We're sitting in a coat room get this way where you know we can talk our language yeah and then we just laughing we got giggled too much so sister found us and he said said madam teresa you know and he said you go upstairs and we told you many times not to speak your language and i look at sister i said sister i don't i'm not speaking my language i'm I'm speaking her language. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. That sister just read in her face. She was so mad. She didn't know what to do with me. So you're just getting in trouble. Yeah. Just I because really. you were, um, like, living your life and living who you are. Yeah. Like, your culture and your language. And so, like, the whole, I guess, like, the from my understanding, um, they were trying to assimilate us into the... I guess a European population, yeah, right? Way they, of life, yeah. Yeah, they wanted us to be like them. Yeah. And they wanted to get rid of our culture. Our, our cultural way of life, our, uh, our language, and even a lot of our own spiritual ceremony stuff was, was all pretty well taken and not to practice at home, everything. So, as so it was, it, it, in a lot of ways, like when I look back on things, um, it really, um, impact a lot of our people our elders it really disrupt our way of life a long time but yet our elders the one that never went to residential school even the late chief when she went to meet that school in Edsel. uh chief jimmy bruno yeah yeah he said him his sister was taken to residential school i don't know what happened there but because of that uh, how the family um, was impacted by residential schools and none of my people from here on in were going to have a school in the community. We're not sending our school to to outside anymore. They can be educating in our community and still be with the family. And he fought long and hard and they were the first one to get that school in school. Yeah, yeah that's where so, I went to school. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in it, uh, they make, he made sure that down the road, generations already, a lot of our people lost our language and culture. Yeah. She wants to be part of a component for uh, education and community. Yeah. And that would, uh, he said that need to be, you know, we need to, to get back to our way, our root way of life, our culture. Really believe in that. So. And f- for a long time. So me coming from residential school, but I have exposed to already to our culture, way of life. It, it was very confusing when coming back, mm. right? Uh, our own people, first time me being away resident school, come back. I used to talk to all these elders, run around, visit them. And when I did, you should see that the coldness. When I ran in, uh, one of the my elder that laughed at her stories, she kind of backed out. Why? 
I don't know because like for me, your own people find there's a big change. That's a big there's a big change when you're impacted by your residential school. And I felt hurt. Um, and then a lot of uh, our elder or make back us that were no longer Sinchon were white people, you know, many white people, you know, like small people, small mm. white people. And I said, what does that mean? You know, it, it hurt. Why are our elders talking that way? Didn't we used to talk that. Finally, I did talk to one of the, uh, the priest back then, Father Amaru is really good. She, you know, she spoke our language. She was part of our cultural way of life. I talked to him and I feel so sad. Why other like that? They've okay. seen changes in you from residential school. That's why our elders are kind of make that, that gap there. Yeah. And I feel the coolness. Um, I, I felt really bad, but it, it made me, to a point where, when you come confront with that, identity issues become very vivid. Uh, you you neither don't belong to this other other cultural way of life. Other one is our way of cultural way of life. You lost. You lost. You have tendency to slide down. There's a crevice that we fall in. So we see today a lot of people former. Uh, residential school. Uh, they find themselves like the loss of identity. They don't know which world they you know, to belong to. Yeah, they don't fit in. They, yeah, they, they, they can't fit in anywhere. Yeah. And if I felt that way for many years, but eventually my dad, by the time I come back, I went, I finished school. Uh, I didn't want to go home. I felt that way. So I, I left. I went back to Yale and I got a job and started working there. By then I got married and I stayed away. Mm. And then, you know, like after that also, you know, my husband was a residential school survivor. Uh, by then we had three kids uh, with addiction, with family violence. And eventually after 12 years, uh, can't make it work. By then I want a better life, right? Yeah. And it was a, a big uh, decision I have to make. To get sober? And, uh, to stay sober. I went for, I'm going to go for treatment also for our our separation from our relationship yeah it was very volatile and i didn't want my kids to be exposed to family violence anymore it's not a way of life oh you were um a victim of um domestic violence yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh how did I you just i'm sorry um i know like um there's like a lot of women too who are in that too as well. Like even maybe even today, mm -hmm. um, is there like because uh, I know like a lot of people are just say things like, "Oh, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just run away? Like leave him?" Yeah. And, and is there like a reason why they don't? I think it pretty well because of I uh, over the years of working with a lot of people with a lot of um, childhood residential school. Uh, stuff and plus like that family violence was so high back in the 60s and 70s you literally see people fighting in the street and it was just normality people just laugh it off but eventually when I start getting into 1994 I start getting into by then I was sober I've been to residential school you know I, I did a lot of uh, healing residential school stuff and I realized with that 
things that I experienced with childhood abuse also from home, um, hometown, and all this come together, I realize you see how it impacts all the individual people. And the violent part, so eventually when I got my training through down south for being a counselor, also mental health worker, working with people, um, did a lot of um, ex- uh, access of interviews and working with people where we're going to go with it and develop program for the community to use. Um, I find that majority of us all that came from residential school were so exposed to a lot of violence, a lot of stuff. So eventually, I think coming from very few that 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 still carry on. So those generations of girls or whoever live in a volatile. Um, home where there's a lot of violence, there's domestic violence that's going on. These people, uh, a lot of them, it's normality for them. So yeah. it's hard for them to to up and leave, right? Yeah, we give them a lot of support and all that. but They think it's like normal and it's just, that's just the way it is, eh? Yeah, so majority of us, a lot of us that have been married in the past, a lot of us, uh, once we begin our healing and all that, you know, we know the marriage can't be safe. We have to leave. And back then, uh, when I first had to separate from my husband, I got a lot of um, elders were getting mad at me. And they said, how can you separate from your husband? Uh, I got a lot of um, backlash from my community back then. Oh, they had to believe it. That's as a marriage vow, and, you know, whether you're, you know... Uh, they have to like stay together forever. Yeah. No matter what. No matter what. <clears throat> and I couldn't because I see a lot of damage was happening in my in my home. They didn't behind closed doors or where when I get beat up, it's always after midnight. People sleeping. Uh, no, there I would go home. You know, I'm scared. My mom did. You know, they were very strict with me. Yeah. So it was hard, and we got stuck in all these. Uh, <clears throat> issues that we're, we're struggling with today. And so, a lot today we look at it, you know, like I've been, I've been a residential school survivor. I had childhood sexual abuse back home, you know, with gang rape or whatever. And all that was happening. Um, I had to deal with a lot of family violence and also my own personal loss and grief. Um, there were uh, a lot of things happen, and because of that, when you don't deal with it, um, you know, you don't do any healing, you know, that these, um, it's going to impact your life. And and then you use a lot of addiction to to cope with all the mental, emotional um, hurt and pain that you have to deal with. You know, with all the shame that things that happened to you, it becomes a block from you from achieving or accomplishing things in your life. Mm. Even though you're very highly intelligent, intelligent, you can you know you can be anything you want, right? You get to that point, it can be there, but you know, down in in you, if you never dealt with a lot of these issues that. 
you know, conflicting with your life, don't know how to cope with it, you turn to addiction. So even though we do good, I can be, tw- I'll be 20 years sober. If there's mm-hmm. some things that I never, I never dealt with, it, it's going to impact my life. And it'd be just easy to pick up that boost again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, really today, uh, you know, I'm somebody for, I, I got how many? Twenty three grandchildren, three mm. great grandchildren, oh. whatever. And, They're busy. You know, I enjoy life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I really feel for my people back there, mm. and I I could never let people down. And since they won't talk to me, and I, I retired nineteen, I don't know, two thousand and ten. Yeah. Supposed to, but I'm still doing a lot of work. Um, a whole uh, program in the community, developing program and wellness for our people. Thank it's you for ongoing. your work. Yeah, yeah, and it's nonstop. Yeah. And majority of us all that uh, have been survivors, residential school survivors, we're all coming together. We all got our training, so we, we help who we can. Yeah. But, you know, at times um, when a lot of tragedy stocks get, get hit our community, it's very hard. It hurts everybody. And, you know, like we know, we love each other. We were, we were brought up as cultural people. We really love our people, you know. And when one is lost in community, it it really impacts everybody. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If we didn't care, it wouldn't bother us. Right? Yeah. 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 Like in a city, somebody died. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like that community. No, because a community in the north is so bound by family, family members. Even if we are not like that close to them or we don't really know them, yeah. you still feel it in the they community. Because yeah. like your friends or your friends' friends, there's always like some kind of connection there. And yeah. um I wanted to say too, um, so how long have you been sober now? Um Holy man, I don't know. I I think I, I sober up uh, when I was thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah, I'm seventy four. Uh, so forty one. You're forty one. I think something like that. Yeah, maybe less. Uh, uh, I relapsed at one time when I lost my beautiful cousin. And yeah. I just drank that one day, but uh, that the one I just I didn't want to do it. Uh, by then I was so so. Overwhelmed with a lot of things and didn't take care of myself, right? Yeah. So I drank the next day. I thought about why, what, what happened, right? Yeah. And I realized I had to go back. And I, I talked to us. We all support each other. So a lot of us were support each other. I said I was too tired. Um, I then big loss and. You know, I forgot to look after myself, right? Yeah. So that one time, even then. Um, it really, uh, I didn't feel guilty about it, but I said, you know, what what happened for me to go there? But um, of course, I have to go back and do a lot of refresh stuff with, with me to where I didn't, and that one part of my life that I never, didn't quite complete, did enough healing. So I have to do some more healing work in that area. Yeah. It, it, it's easier when you go that way to go back up and go again. Yeah. If you just let it go, I, I'm going to slide down and go back to drinking. So know? it's so, just... So a matter of... It, you know, I would advise people, if you have a lot of issues that's unresolved, 
you know, make it your priority to do healing in it. So no matter 30, 40 years of sobriety, that one day you, you forgot to look after yourself, you're just going to pick the train. And yeah. then you stay with it. But if you're going, it happened right away, seek help. Um, find out with good counselor, where, of course, one thing that I've got to deal with yeah. for me to slide down that path, you know? Yeah, I think for a lot of us, too, we forget to, like, take care of ourselves yeah you know mm-hmm. like a lot of us are maybe just tracing money or maybe we go to the gym and we think that we're doing good enough that's good enough or even just getting sober that we think that's like good enough i mean those are all great things mm-hmm. but there's more work to be done like you have to work on your mind like yeah. your thoughts and all the past trauma everything you've been through everything yeah. has to be addressed you can't just let it it's not going to go away until you deal with it. Yeah. And then even after you deal with it, it's still going to come back yeah. like yeah. later on and stuff. Because it's going to be like a whole, it's like a life battle, right? But it's one of the things at my age, I look at it and we fail to listen to our body messages. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes it, you're in a dangerous ground, right? And hot spot. And you like kind of ignore, I can, I can deal with it, but it, at times you can't. Yeah, like you your know? gut feeling, like your, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just the feeling, the energy in the room, right? Yeah. Like when you're feeling like just bad, like bad vibes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I, your mind start to wander to all kind of things. Oh my God, don't fall for it. You yeah. Know? I think that with me too, with like, um, I've been sober now for um yesterday was 12 weeks mm-hmm. yeah um uh-huh. and um even like now too like even when like uh, somebody like text message me or trying to like talk to me and stuff uh-huh. I, sometimes i get it i get like oh like i get the a feeling of oh like i feel like what is that feeling like i feel like maybe like i'm on a drink or something yeah so that's why i just kind of removed myself in a situation yeah yeah i'm kindly though always and it's just like i you have to kind of um, in your sobriety and your and when you're in recovery, you have to be a little bit selfish with it, huh? Yeah, because the beginning, like, the first, the first crucial time is the first two years of sobriety. Then, um, you know, uh, uh, do what you can, but if you do too extremes, you're gonna knock it down. Because you, you get isolated and stuff. Yeah, don't isolate yourself. Be selfish. Yeah. in a way that you you look after yourself. Priority yeah. number one priority: look after you, emotional part of you, the mental, um, the physical part of you, spiritual part of you. Yeah, and sometimes and that's do a lot of healing in that area. You know, so you have a a balance in your um, uh, well-being. Yeah, that's the first two years. It, we fail to follow through. Yeah. So most of us we were up for, you know, relapse. Yeah. So a journal. When they say journal, it's true, huh? Yeah. Like you uh-huh. writing a journal, I write in mine too. It helps so much. Yeah. And just like meditating too, even yeah, like for like five minutes. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I find like the gym too helps a lot too. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when I get like a little like. Ant, I, I have like um, anxiety and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I just antsy for no reason. Maybe I drink too much coffee. I don't know. But yeah. and then I just go to the gym and then I feel completely fine after that. Yeah. Just relax. So it's not a fuss. Like uh, I really truly believe that you know our elders towards the end would they see all the changes in our community. That time the elders said you know bring the people back to the land. Yeah. The land heals. And at that time, I don't understand concept yet. And, and uh, I've been with the elders. Finally, I got into elders. I work with them. And with, with whatever that's going to work, you know, we brought in some people community, away from the community. We do a lot of healing work. And we're just beginning. But with the assistance of all the elders back then, they don't speak the English, but we 
develop program to the on their perspective using that perspective we have land healing program and it, it works it works for some yeah you know but other people have to go more than once yeah. so it, i really encourage like you know uh, i mean like everybody we, we can go to treatment center yeah. down south with yeah. all these stuff but in on a land program uh you're there it's our natural yeah yeah it's like our that's our tradition eh? yeah our way of you know so if you're good physically even day one and all that you do things and you know we do a lot of healing work there uh based on all traditional stuff and those i encourage people some people that have been there they've been sober they really support the people when they go there but we're focusing on not only that because of that language loss and our cultural way of life through the residential school, a lot of us will have to go back and return to the land. Yeah. And that's where it is. Because it energizes you. Not only that, uh, the healing is so natural. Mm. Uh, that's our natural way of life. So it finally going back and we really feel at peace, you know. Yeah. By day 10, people going, they don't want to go home, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's just nice. Yeah. So just like, when I, went, I went to a treatment center too as well. Yeah. Um, and there they they say that you have to have a higher power. Some You have to believe in something mm-hmm. more powerful than you are. Mm-hmm. And a lot for a lot of people, that's God. And for a lot of other people too, that's it's nature. Like yeah. nature, just being in touch with uh, Mother Nature, you know, mm-hmm. putting your feet on grass and just sitting down maybe in the sand or on a rock mm-hmm. and just kind of just thinking about like where you are and where your feet's touching and your body and listening to the birds and stuff. Just things like that. It just makes you feel in touch with like the, like the world, like the earth and stuff. So, yeah. and that gives you like a peace of mind too yeah. as well. I, I yeah. It, it, so you look at land, land healing program, and you go back to the land. Um, you do you use a lot of the language out there. Um, it meets, it's it's our you know traditional people like us, um, our people forefathers. The traditionally that's their environment, their yeah. natural environment of healing, and it meets all four parts of well-being: your emotional, the mentally, you know, all those. Um, physically spiritually it it's all come together when you're out there yeah so that's why when you you're in there for three four days you, you feel good about yourself because yeah. you're always doing something emotionally when out of the blue you can just cry easily as if you're in the community you can't mm, yeah so these are really healing uh it's very healing and no wonder that's what our elders are talking about and you're away and from your work phone with them, yeah away from home um for the years that i've been i've been after my retirement in 2010 i really focus on land healing program work with elders all age group um help our community develop a lot of land healing program culture healing program um, i was assisting with them so based on that, you know, we really encourage our people to participate in program. There, it's not like we don't have it. We, whenever there's program available, I would like our people to to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, it's, it's free. free. Yeah, you don't have to pay. Just go yeah. and show up, even if you are tired, hangover, whatever it is. Just yeah. go yeah. because, like, you have to take action. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fix anything by just sitting there and complaining about it. No, because we, you know, like, um, 
we really um, try to help as many people we can. And people in this field, you know, they're not judgmental because they've been through lots. They understand. Everybody, everybody, yeah. like everybody, you're always going to find somebody who understands you. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and you know, we can read mind. You know, so yeah. if people that have been in uh, a long time in sobriety, they wouldn't, if they ask for help or someone to listen to them, they're not going to push them away. They're yeah. going to listen because they'd be so happy helping people because. Mentally, we do we can we can't understand what the person is thinking unless they tell you, huh? you know. Emotionally, we don't know. They uh, they appear okay, they look all right, but you know, for all we know, inside they're all brittle, they're all breaking. Mm, you know? Yeah, um, so, like with me too. When I was like telling my story and stuff yeah. at that rehab center, they like nobody was like shocked or anything. Like, th and then when no. them they go up and tell their story, yeah. theirs was like way more they went through so much more than i did yeah. and so it's just like everybody has a that level of understanding you yeah. know that like everybody gets each other in some way yeah. so you're never alone yeah mm -hmm. yeah so a lot of us that um today not much left now but you but when i did uh uh assessment for a residential school survivors there were 320 of us from our region that went. Mm. Today, maybe 120 are alive. Oh, wow. Losing lo a lot. A lot of my residential school friends are no longer here. And at 74, it just feels, you know, like they're all gone, you know. Mm. Uh, but at times, I feel angry, you know, being normal, you know, a person. But you know, they're at peace, a lot of them. Same with our elders went through so much. They went through most experience, horrified experience they have went through in residential school. Mm -hmm. But I was glad to be part of their life when residential school thing uh, was come up. Uh, I've been uh, with Health Canada. We, we did support when people going through uh, hearing for some people that can speak uh, our language. Yeah. Oh my God, that was... Um, okay. It, um, it was... It was... How was it? Um, very emotional mm. for a lot of them. So uh, I want to... Um, I want to ask uh, a question about residential school. How do you uh, feel about... Um, I know like they said the Pope apologized, was it? Or the Queen? Yeah. And then they came for like a kind of a tour around Canada and stuff. What do you think about them apologizing? Well, for me, after hearing a lot of stories from my people, uh, being experienced in that field, um, I mean, for me, personally, the person that was alive and I really do apologize. Yeah, I'll take that. But for someone that did all the wrong someone apologizing for them mm. yeah it, it doesn't coincide not by my standard yeah so i just said well let them do what they want but um i think considering do apologies for people look how much money they have to spend when that money can be used for healing yeah ah, yeah. Uh, yeah yes i i am very um think about a lot of these things and like the elders said you know like if if somebody did wrong, uh, uh, the elders always said, 
that person genuinely confronts you and, you know, apologizes to you. He said, you know, there's, there's money up there for Heavenly Father will forgive them. Mm. But if somebody else is doing them, you're just enabling them and, um, you know, you're, you're making things, um, uh, it's okay, it's all done with and forget it. That kind of gesture, mm, and they yeah. don't go for that. And I really believe that. Yeah. yeah, and that doesn't change. Like, why are they going to apologize for somebody else? No, I don't. And it, you know, to do that, you you know, it, imagine for somebody like Pope or Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth back then to do apologize for people that did wrong. I think uh, it's not the church that did uh, wrong. It's the people. That, that represent the church that did wrong to people. Mm. Those are the ones. They need yeah. them. If they're still alive, we want them. I would like them to say the apology. Yeah. You know? Like but, the priests, the nuns, yeah, the staff. Some of them are still alive. Yeah. Know? And what about, um, what are your thoughts on all the children that are being found, like in the ground? It's devastating, devastating. But it, for me, back then, my dad, when she was in residential school, residential school in resolution, he said, "My girl, there's a lot of lot of kids died there, and some of the parents don't want to know their kids are dead until they come back in June. They found the kids are not there; they died. So, based on that, you see, all this is happening. My dad said it was just horrific, and one of the things, um, my dad and because they're orphaned, they were there, they never go home. One residential school he was in, and they would stay behind, they would do all that potato farming, whatever wood for the school. And she said, you know, they were up in the attic with the sisters they are in residential school. But the houses were, it's musky, musty, smelly in there. So they said they got to knock down all the walls and replace the null on in there. Mm. And she said, my, my girl, he said, when we were doing that, well, about four or five of them, they're knocking down all the walls. That one side of the walls, she said, my girl, when we open up the walls, at, on the wall and in between the walls, there's no insulation back then, right? Yeah. When they did that, she said, my, my girl, he said, I was so horrified. She said, oh, there's a lot of baby skulls. Oh my God! Little, uh, little arms, little bones, little legs, and all that. It's all small ones. They hid them in the walls. So, if the girls that were pregnant, the baby, they must have killed it and put it in between the walls. So that's horrifying story. My dad told me, and I've said, never heard anything like that. I've heard them like burning the babies and yeah, but there was lots, and then. He said when she was there, he said there was beautiful, um, beautiful nuns there. Yeah. And, you know, like they're young, they're pretty, they got figures and all that, even though they use heavy stuff. Yeah. Eventually, these, she seen two of those nuns that were beautiful. She said they're really nice, but, you know, they never got training. I don't know. But when they did, eventually down the road, they're getting fat. Mm. And then eventually they were gone. And so the kids asked, you know, poor sister, this sister, that. He said, the, the sister got sick, so he couldn't be away for a while. Ah. And then when they came back later, they were just slim again. 
So they, they, they were pregnant and didn't have kids. Yeah. And back, kid. back then, my dad is old enough, but they didn't know about pregnancy and all that. But he said she seemed a lot of that. Who were the nuns getting pregnant by? The priest? Priest or whatever, yeah. Oh, why, why, were the nuns like sleeping with like the little boys too? Yeah, that, I heard that was happening too. So that was, um, um, she was a medical interpreter, but she said these are the things sometimes happen. Down the road when you're ready, Terry, I will tell you my story. Mm. And he said, if, if dad is drinking lots, it has nothing to do with you. You wouldn't, don't, do not touch who's really rich. But allow my dad, I said, allow dad to be dad. Because you don't know what's in here, what I seen, what I heard. Mm. It comes back so strong. So when I do, I leave community for one week. You go one week, bench and yell, and I come back. You know, it was like that all the time. And I didn't know why. Only after long, after dad died, uh, just um, prior to a month before he died, he was healthy and all talked to me. And one morning, I was get up early, had coffee. That's when she told me all this story. He said... Uh, if I'm ready, my girl down the road, I will tell you the story. Because I think um, back then I wasn't counselor or anything, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if you're ready to accept whatever happened. You won't. You probably won't understand. Not knowing, later on she told my mom. When, after dad died, my mom told me, you know, your dad stayed in residential school at the age of 5 to 15. And she was abused by an, uh, a priest. In not only him, plus all the the people that he went to school with his friends that were abused sexually. Yeah. So that's why my dad drank. But he was a very intelligent person. Uh, really, um, uh, he, ta- he taught me lots aside mm-hmm. from school. So, it, you know. Were you close with your father? Yeah, I was very, very close. Mm-hmm. With that um, whole residential school, too. Um is there like I know like um, every time the topic comes up, it's always like bad, bad, and because it is, it's terrible. But I'd say like, do you think that um, say that kind of made you who you are today? Like, because you've been through all of these tough things, and now you're like strong. Yeah, I guess in a lot of ways, like, um, have I not did any healing in my life? I would have been with us, my family, or you know. Uh, died from um, addiction, um, disease, you know, like liver or heart problem. But, you know, majority of us that drank lots back then all end, end up with a lot of uh, diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of diabetes for quite a while. And But it, considering everything, um, if I didn't do any healing, I, I, I would know where I'd be. You know, but yeah. today, uh, the healing is so, it's tough. It's really hard journey, but we stuck with it. I stuck with it with some of my friends that did become very, uh, a prominent figure in community. Yeah. Assisting more people that need help. Uh, because where we've been, uh, majority are struggling silently. Yeah. Um, if we see some people struggling today, we're not afraid to confront them to see how they're doing. Um, a lot of uh, our community, majority of us all did all a healing. We're all out there helping people. We're exposed to all 
all what happened to us. It's our turn to give it back to community to help them. Yeah. If they ask, we'll be there for them. Um, we love our people. Our people, great ancestors, they were love, loving people. We are. We're in a community. We're all brothers and sisters. We've got grandmothers, grandfathers. Even they're gone, we adopt. That was one way of adopting our uh, uh, elders to be our parents. If we lost our parents, we ask the person to be our mother and father. It helped us to go through healing also, uh, accepting the loss and all that. So, it, it you know, for me um, today, I can't say I'm totally okay. You know, I'm human. I have my own, I have my weaknesses. I have my, you know, strong points. But one of the things, when I, I'm getting weak, I'm going to reach out. I'm not going to sit on it and get buried with it. And that's what I did. It took me a long time to get out of it. Yeah. But today, uh, I am happy to be me, um, able to laugh again, oh, yeah. able to hug something that I never did. I have to relearn all that from residential school. Today, I have my kids. I'm a single parent for many years. Um, but, you know, whatever life struggle I went through, it wasn't easy. Mm. And... I shared that with community from day one when I become counselor. I told them, I'm not perfect. I'm standing here. I'm going to be working with all of you. But this is what happened to me. This is where I am. Whether yeah. you accept it or not, I'm here to help people. Yes. And I was the first one to share all the uh, glory stuff that I went through. Yeah. And, and I think we all thank you for that. Yeah. Because like you sharing your story and there's going to be some people who relate to it or maybe that happened to them too. Mm -hmm. So they're going to, it's going to, I feel like the, it kind of um, gives them like, a, oh, we can talk about it yeah. and stuff. And it also, it helps people to heal too, to yeah. um, begin their healing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, so counseling. Uh, how are you? How long are you planning on doing this? But I think we need you. We need you to do this forever. Oh, that's <laughs> what I was. Oh, I, I retired 2010. By then, it was uh, what 17, but it must be going to about 30 years. Yeah. Um, 30 years plus whatever is still, you know, still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, more or less, I want to uh, train a lot of my co workers. Some retire we're into this. So. Uh, I do a lot of facilitating. I develop program in all the four regions in Shon region. So, um, based on that, um, as our traditional dental cycle, you know, we'll be we're a child. You know, when we're a child, we explore. Adolescent, you're a learner, right? Yeah. Adult, you're a provider. Elder, now I'm elder. I'm teachers of teachers. Yeah. So whatever. Elder said, you know, you're well-educated in all both worlds. He said, don't sit on it. That's not our way of life. Yeah. Whatever you learn, you give it back to the community. And I think we followed that model. And I think because of that, we got a lot of respect from our community. Yeah. With them. yeah. Yeah. I know when I told uh, friends and stuff that I was going to be interviewing you, they uh -huh. were just, they, their face lit up. They're like uh -huh. excited because uh -huh. they know how open you are and uh -huh. they wanted to hear it. Yeah. So thank you. And um, what, are, what are your thoughts too? Like on, um, I know like I saw this like chatter online about um, people 
are saying things like well the younger generation they're saying like the older generation they kind of like make fun of them or like laugh at them when they try to speak clean show i guess because they're um pronouncing it wrong or they're saying things mm. wrong so so yeah. and um so like they don't they feel like they don't want to like learn it because they're getting laughed at and stuff like that you know it culturally okay anything new you learn even from little baby they start learning it's a joy. Elders expressing their joy of finally you're speaking, and it's fun. It's it doesn't. They're not really totally uh, laughing at them to hurt them. Yeah, they're laughing at. They're laughing with you because it's like yeah, it's with you. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. They're happy. You know, you're yeah. doing, and then when you sound different, of course it's funny. I can't just <laughs> sit there and you know. Yeah. But it it's not 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 to be mean. That that's yeah. not their nature. And one of the thing is when it's fun learning your language. Yeah. So she's easy. saying, don't be sensitive. Yeah. Don't be sensitive. Just take the laughs. It's 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 in good nature. Yeah, it is, and it's a, you know, our people, our our traditional people back home, they ever like to use to laugh to joke, you yeah. know, teasing. Yeah. All that we grew up in laughter, sense of humor. Yeah. And. Especially when we come back, we try to speak our language. Somebody used to laugh at us. <laughs> but it, because it, our tone changes, yeah. it sounds different. Yeah. So I didn't know that back then. So one time, I, I, my dad keep encouraged me to make me use a lot of, uh, uh, you know, very large vocabulary in English and all that. I have to interpret that and teach me, give me one word that week to do it, speak it in, in our language two or three ways of using that one big word and then do it in English and translate that back to English. You know, it used to give me that. I love your English is very good. Like, mm -hmm. very, very great. It, yeah. It's I love it. Because, mm -hmm. like, I know, like, um, when you see, like, a lot of like clips online stuff mm -hmm. when um elders when they speak it's always like in clean show which yeah. is great but then there's like some of us who don't understand mm -hmm. it and like maybe like some parts of it and even when they interpret it too as well it's just it's just more time and stuff it, it's kind of it's like a whole thing i saw so i really appreciate you being able to um like vocalize yourself and like really yeah. great english so if i see like a yeah, I'm a facilitator too for a lot of things, and if a majority of, of youth in there that don't speak our, uh, our our language, I would speak in English, but I was self-translate what I said in Kinshaw. Hmm. So it's coming from me and you, Jan, right there, and then I'm explain how you feel, how what are you saying? Yeah. So I can uh, always move back and forth. Yeah. Right. So, do you have any like advice for like say people like me, that young generation who don't know how to speak it but want to? Like, where do we start? How do we like teach ourselves how to speak Klingcho? Okay, one of the thing, if in a community, if there's not a healing program, mm. we involve a lot of elders. Yeah. They they don't speak English. Yeah. So you're gonna have to work with them. You're gonna teach you. They're gonna teach you. Okay. You this is how you do it. And a lot of fixing fish and butchering caribou, all that they learn. Oh, so it's not just the language, it's the whole thing, the, the whole, whole, whole thing. culture. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're there, and so our language is used there, but if you're still stuck there, there's people like me working there. We 
we assess you, what they meant, and all that. So just throw yourself entirely into the culture and every way of it. Yeah. And like just uh, yeah, like the hunting and being on the land, and and involved being involved in the programs and working closely with elders and uh, fluent Klingon speakers, and then eventually you might catch on. Yeah. <laughs> you will and catch then on. Now <laughs> the community they offer. Clinchon language program going on. Yeah. And also the offer in, I think, University of Alberta now. Mm, yeah. So awesome. those that's outside there, uh, we, I think if you go into Clinchon website, yeah. it will show you when the program, usually in July, they offer that in Edmonton. Oh, I should look into so that. So you can go from, from ground level to learn. Yeah. To, to you know more into to get a degree in there mm, so okay. it, it's it's a really good program uh, my kids uh, at home i don't speak english i speak uh, since they were young i always talk my language and even my little ones but some that don't understand but it was fun learning with you know mm-hmm. and yeah um so it it my my kids they understand when i speak in to them yeah they'll respond back in English but when I put two of them with go on land with 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 my brother-in-law and all that is speaking you know now actually one two three of them can speak the language oh nice so it's just not only from home but yeah. it basically your parent coming from home if your both parents are speaking English, it's their own responsibility to teach their language to the kids before they go outward and they can get it from either school, you know, university, wherever. But also land program is good because it's a raw teaching there and you pick up faster than you would in school. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, with um, everything that's happening in the community with the wildfires and the evacuation, um, did you, since you're being a counselor, so you obviously like have, um, like some, uh, you have like your eyes and ears on the mental health community. Mm-hmm. Did you see like a change, um, since the wildfires and stuff? Did, did people become more like, um, start drinking more or more antsy or did people need more help or assistance? Yes. And, and you know, if, when you come to a crisis situation like this, there already there was a, a lot of problem existence in the hometown, and a lot of us would do escape from you know through gambling addiction, not to face what's happening at home. Put all the household together in one house. Imagine what it's like. <laughs> eh? A lot of stressed people. A lot of stress. Not only that, you know, uh, in a lot of way, the the good part, the way I look at yesterday, I talked to this counselor that were there. You know, sometimes um, crisis doesn't mean it's always negative. Oh, it brings people together too. Yeah, it brings the family together now. Imagine I went to the uh, uh, campsite. Yeah. I see, finally see all the families together, all tents together. Imagine they're all eating together. I'm sure they talk together now. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's not all bad, hey? It's not all bad, not to me. I don't look at negative. I always look at the positive way of doing things and, you know. But they, maybe they don't realize it because it is stressful with the mm. house laws or whatever. And, and you know, a lot of people don't like being living in the city and they're not at home in their comfort. Uh, those are, you know, that can be fixed. Yeah, yeah. Those are just like um, temporary you know, things, right? Yeah. 
for it, it can be you know worked through but to have family together nothing happened uh there's no real crisis no life loss um able to come together as family in one roof you know yeah. and and your friends some of them uh it is hard so some will hit addiction but you know if they really look back on things they were sad the family got together finally they're talking to parents you know their family are there together yeah so so there's good in it there's a good in it there's a bad in it but the good in it look focus on a lot of positivity what's coming out of it there's also yeah it's also it it gives an acknowledge what's need to be worked through whether it's a lack of communication uh, whether it's um, like awareness, awareness of what happened, acceptance. You know? Yeah, accepting communication is so important because yeah. first time you on cluster this, you your your child will come up to you, mom. I ever like this. I don't want to stay here. I hear the little one said that. Mm-hmm. I want to left here, mom, mama. <laughs> you know, yeah. all the parents are there, their uncles, everybody's there. You then that little one said, yeah. What what do you like about it? And he said, mama. He said. I, I don't have to go a long ways to see mama. She's just over there in the tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. I mean, like, it, it, it says something. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially with, like, kids, too, like, a, younger, a lot of, like, younger people. Then This is probably, like, fun for them in some way because yeah. they get to hang out with all, like, their friends and stuff. Yeah. And they're finally, like, everybody, the whole community is together. And that's how it used to be. Yeah. Right? It's it, true it crisis and all that at community back then. Everybody pulled together. All, everybody cooperate and, you know, working together. Yeah. So crisis like this, it doesn't have to be negative. Yeah. Let's focus on what is positive. What's the outcome? What need to be changed now when you're back home? You know, yeah, and yeah. maybe because of what happened, it, the family finally got together. Let's keep this going. So at home, let's get together on Sunday as family. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing that with my family, so it's nothing new. Yeah. But for others, you know, make a, a knowledge what's what's what they miss and it's coming back yeah and i think like this too too, like there's a like a big eye opener too because a lot of us too are just really like complacent and Mm -hmm. we don't like we just think like um nothing's gonna happen but this here just shows all of us that uh, anything can happen happen. and it affects all of us we're vulnerable we're vulnerable yeah you know we can't always focus on materialistic stuff yeah we're talking about let's focus on the wellness of our family or ourselves and you know like materialistic is it can be replaceable yeah and also like if if it's life a loss then it's it's just no replacement yeah and you hurt for life you know yep 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 so based on that you know be be grateful of what you have what you can accomplish today this minute this hour mean this day if you're strong you know right hmm. Tomorrow will come. I don't focus so much as before. Um, but the nine to five job, I used to have to worry about a what weekly plan, next mm. month plan, year, yearly plan. One yeah. of that. <laughs> Less stress. I just focus day just by day, day by day. And if it's too hard, go by hour, hour, minute by minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything that you would like to talk about? We have we haven't touched on yet. Um, pretty well touch everything. Uh, it's just that um, when we share, yeah, um, things like this, people 
already lead the one that did a lot of uh, recovery stuff uh, on healing journey, they readily will share their story because to inform the young people that uh, you can live, um, you know, life without addiction. You can find happiness again, joy, um, you know, peacefulness. Mm. Um, to get back identity that you you are who you are, and you know, embrace it because this is this is the time we have. You know, we don't know what next hour is going to bring, but yeah. be you know all the love you have for your families, your friends, you know, your elders. You know, yeah, be grateful for those. Because yes. we we don't we don't know what tomorrow you know yeah but you know be able to be I think a lot of us are like for me I'm very open hearted uh, I love my people I love my children you know my grandkids and any little ones mm. you yeah. know been our our kids next generation if it didn't seek help. Um, like our elders said, they're going to go through a lot of a lot of hardships, and we don't want our people to hurt anymore. Yeah. You know, and to do what they can to help themselves, whether to meet them halfway. Uh, we don't remember putting people down. You know, and of course, when when we're hurting, we don't res- we don't resolve a lot of our issues. We become very angry people. Uh, something that you know your love is not there anymore um we, we just want a good life for our family we want them to have a stable life you know mentally emotionally physically spiritually um to ensure that our kids we want them to have fulfillment in life yeah, that's all we want we don't want you know fancy cars uh, castles i don't know but those are <laughs> it's not going to help even yeah. you have all that if you don't do healing you go down yeah, yeah and i think that too we have to like think about like our kids 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 like yeah. generations after yeah. us yes like um if we need to heal us now so that they live a better life mm-hmm. too and um what i would say what um hmm what are your like uh thoughts on say um, the state of um, the Clinton region right now, with I, like mental health wise and mental health wise, um, it's really uh, an addiction. Ad- in addiction wise, um, addiction back then we're dealing with a lot of alcohol. Today, we're battling new new forms of addiction, which is um, drugs in the community. Crack. Yeah, crack, cocaine. Um, it, it's devastating. Uh, the grandparents are very, very um, affected by it. And also, people like me, you know, it, we're all hit with that. And, you know, like at time, I don't want to be angry about it, but when the death related to some of these things, it hurts. Not only hurts me, it hurts family, communities, all around us. So I, you know, I wish, like, um, we're trying to do the best we can. We provide, uh, uh, promoting a lot of healthiness in our community. We provide program for them to people to use it. But if you into heavy do uh, heavy duty use in addiction, especially in crack stuff, nothing works. Mm. They're not going to hear it, right? Yeah. And it's it's so sad. That's a new battle that all the community pretty well across Canada are dealing with it. Yeah. And it, 
it's so sad. It's a new enemy, and we don't yeah. they don't know how to fight it yet. Yeah, they don't. And it it's not like uh, with it uh, alcohol addiction. At least the treatment there's uh, some recovery from that. But with crack cocaine, you know, that's good treatment program for that takes long long process than. The, the actual the other with the alcohol. well with me i went when i went to treatment it was yeah. for alcohol was the main one mm-hmm. but also with cocaine too mm-hmm. i got treated for both mm-hmm. i i i was doing um n a n c n n a a a a and uh n a and um there's actually there's a lot of similarities cuz it's yeah. all addiction yeah, all addiction yeah yeah and um just like the behaviors like the um with that comes along with addiction of course like uh you know unpredictability and unstable and Mm -hmm. just like moody and grumpy and you can't you're not really you can't really be like trustworthy too because you you people just don't really know what you're going to do like Mm -hmm. every day it's just you're always you're all over the place yeah and also your emotions too so it's all kind of like really 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 similar honestly and um so there's a there's treatment for that too as yeah. well but and um i would say too with um the crack thing too is do you have any like any advice for like anybody who might um be hooked on it or if they might know somebody who's hooked on it like maybe how to like deal with it like maybe not try to like control them and push them into um mm-hmm. treatment but just kind of like like how to deal with them on a day-to-day basis yeah, you know, like uh, with the young adults now in the community, they're very vulnerable to addiction. Yeah. It's so easily accessed to all these other alcohol or drugs. And I guess one of the things uh, we're dealing with is that um, we don't want to be, if we're going to work with these, uh, you know, the, the addiction who are affected by it, you have to be very compassionate, not only that, to be able to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And normally, the way I've been in the field for that long, I said, if you have a lot of unresolved issues, you're going to continue going to use addiction to to cope. Yeah. And it's like um, uh, painkillers, right? Yeah. yeah. And once you start being really understand if the person reachable, you know, try to support them, work with them, and make sure that you have a lot of uh, refer refer them to people that that easily can work with them. Yeah. And, you know, so if you have a lot of experience, you know how to work and reach out and work with people. And it's, like, really important to not, like, judge them because mm-hmm. that their addiction took over. It took over their, like, their whole, like, mindset. Yeah, so that's all they care about is getting high. Yeah. And they all they neglect all their, like, responsibilities yeah. and whatever it is. That's, it's just a completely, it's just a, something that you, you can't really, you, it's a, something you can't, like, physically see and fight. Yeah, it's, like, in your mind. Yeah. So in, it, it impact, you know, impact your wellness, for wellness of your well-being addiction when you're, you're hooked on that. It's impact your way, the way you're thinking, the emotional part of you, the mentally, the spiritual, all the, you know, it, emotionally, it, it's all, it's impact on it. So when you're on it, you know, it, as long as you know the sign of symptoms of people uh, abusing addiction, what stages they are, or you can help them. Okay. And refer them with a lot of uh, uh, 
a treatment that well, uh, let them deal with all what they need to be deal with, okay. right? So and also um, when when uh, addiction people, we look at them. You know, it's not them. You know, the way the their attitude is, their behavior, their action, that of addiction. You know, that if you don't understand that, um, the person that's dealing or the family dealing with it, it's very aggravating. A lot of frustration period that we go through, a lot of hurt, a lot of, a lot, lot of family are impacted by it. Yeah. So those that's in use, and you know, don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Enough is enough. You know, we, as parents, grandparents, we may be not uh, biological related, but we we can work as a community. We want to help them. Um, we don't want them to hurt anymore, any more than we we are hurting. And based on that, you know, people out there, young people, we love you. We, we treasure you guys' life. We, you are the next generation of people. Our leaders would be doctors or whoever. Think about that because uh, you got children, you got families. Some we're left without it, but big, big, big part of our life in our community where a lot of people have lots of loss, loss over since COVID. Like this, this month, week after week, we're bearing people. I mean, people walking with all these pain, yeah. you know, and we're trying to do the best we can. Um, hopefully, when you get back after this fire, we're working on the wellness planning of uh, how to assist people. Yeah. So the majority, there were 26 trainee of addiction counselor in our region already. We're trying to recruit them. Yeah, we're we're trying to uh, unify a lot a lot of our resource people for our community to work with our people. So mm-hmm. that's a big project that um, we're focusing on right now. Yesterday we talk about, we had meetings, so uh, we got lots to do. Yeah, and hopefully we've been offered to have a, a community uh, a healing place. Um, hopefully we can have one. Yeah, uh, uh, like a treatment center or recovery yeah, center kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, and then it'd be uh, based on traditional cultural way of life too and our traditional way of doing recovery stuff with people. Yeah. Um, really promoting that because that's going to save lives. You okay. know, the way we look at it, it's not going to, but it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, are you you're done? You tired? Yeah, I'm tired now. <laughs> My mind's the other way now. I have to go to the other place. Thank you so much for yeah. taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, this is insane. And thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to say that right now is a very important time that we all stick together and, um, you know, just be one as people and thank you again for having this conversation with me mm-hmm. and um where where can they find you Edzo Edzo I'll be in Veshako everywhere <laughs> <laughs> all right but thank you well, I've just been a month now I've been home only for that one day and I've been to communities left and right so now I'm here back in yellow knife so hopefully wrap everything but Hopefully for all, just want to thank a lot of um, young people that make use of a lot of program we deliver at the community level. Also, all the leaders, the Clinton leaders and staff that make it 
everything possible with the last minute evacuations and all the things the services that provide it's awesome um we try to you know do what we can at our end too as well providing support for everyone and it's not easy but it's been a, a rough time uh with face with the fire and all the people returning it doesn't stop here it's still going to continue when we go back there so just want to thanks and i'm so glad people stuck it out this long it was hard but i know the leaders then the staff teaching staff went through awesome stuff but they stuck together and i just want to thank them masicho yes i would like to thank all of you too as well and that concludes the episode thank you all for tuning in bye <laughs>